0: You're listening to the Adult Explore the Bible Weekly Leader Training Podcast. This podcast is designed to help teachers prepare to lead a Bible study group using LifeWay's Explore the Bible adult resources. Each week, we review the Bible passage for that week's study, examine some questions teachers may face, and give some teaching tips along the way. I'm Dwayne McCurry, your host, and today I'm being joined by Bob Bunn. Bob's been with us a few other times this quarter, but Bob, thank you for being back with us again this week as we look at Session 12. Happy to be here. Uh, We are looking at 1st and 2nd Kings this summer. We've got two more sessions out of uh, these two books. And today we're looking at chapter 19, verses 10 through 19 and 32 through 34. We're focusing on Hezekiah praying here. Uh, Something that we need to know about in the background is the Assyrians, King Sennacherib. He's, uh, He's involved in this. He's been on the prowl and he's making his way. Hezekiah knows he's a threat to him. Uh, But one thing we may be able to do to help folks uh, in our classes get some historical perspective is use pack item five, which is a map of the Assyrian districts. That'll show us how Assyria and Sennacherib have moved uh, towards and getting closer to Hezekiah. Uh, We also have pack item 10, which is entitled Assyrian and Babylonian rulers. It's a listing of the names of the Kings uh, who were Uh, those rulers of Assyria and Babylon. It gives dates, so that'll help us to get some kind of historical perspective on this study. But we've outlined these verses with these three ideas, the taunt, the prayer, and the answer. First of all, the taunt in verses 10 through 33. Sennacherib, who's the king of Assyria, sent a message to King Hezekiah, warning him to stop trusting God for protection. Sennacherib pointed to his military success and characterized himself as superior to all the gods in those regions. A warning for us here is that pride leads to greater acts of arrogance. The second part of our outline is the prayer. We find this in verses 14 through 19 of 2 Kings 19. Here, facing the threat of Assyria, King Hezekiah turned to God in prayer. He points to Sennacherib's claim that he was more powerful than any God. Hezekiah asked for God to save the people of Judah as a declaration that the Lord alone is God. We can understand that believers can humbly approach God in prayer. The last point of our outline is verses 32 through 34. It's entitled The Answer. In these verses, we find God responding to Hezekiah through Isaiah. God declares that Sennacherib would not attack Jerusalem, but would return home defeated instead. God promised to defend and rescue Jerusalem for the sake of his name and for David. The point for us to understand is that God will defend his people and his name. Now, Bob, in this passage, in this study, there's lots of place name, places named uh, Syria. I mean, there's a bunch of cities named here, bunch of reasons. One interesting thing is that Israel is not mentioned in this list. Why would any of that be important? The names of
1: the places and Israel not being listed. You know, there, there's no cliche that says it ain't bragging if you can do it. And... <laughs> <laughs> and Assyria had done it. <laughs> I mean, yeah. They had, they had <clears throat> for for decades and probably centuries, they had been the bad boys on the block. They had uh, you know, they had basically been a military steamroller that had just crushed everybody, uh, that that tried to stand up against them. And all these people that they that they mentioned, all these cities and regions that they had talked about, they were just uh they were just roadkill <laughs> in in, you know, that that were left that was left in the wake of the of the Assyrian war machine, so you know none of them had been able to stop Assyria, and I'm not really sure why Israel's not mentioned because obviously Israel was was part of that list. In 722, the Assyrians came in and 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 wiped them out and, and exiled them to all over the pla- all over their kingdom, and so uh, and moved other people into to the northern kingdom, and so that was something I'm sure that Hezekiah and the other residents in the southern kingdom they understood that they knew it. And maybe that's why. Maybe that, that either because he didn't uh, have to mention it, right? Yeah, they already knew. Uh, and and also it may have been that they just weren't trying to give a um, uh, an exhaustive list, or maybe they were just listing the most powerful people that they, that they had overrun. Whatever the case, they had done enough damage that they their reputation was pretty much sealed. And so you know they understood that. Um, but you know that that it, it really underscores. The danger that Hezekiah was facing. Um, I mean, these were these were bad guys. They were bad dudes, and they had done a lot of damage. And and it, in one sense, it's true. None of the gods of these other nations had stood up against them. None of them had conquered them. And even the Northern Kingdom, you know, they were worshiping other gods more than they were worshiping Jehovah. So those other gods didn't didn't help them either. Um, so it just it just underscores the fact that that Hezekiah had a real danger that he was facing. And and so he had a choice to make. You know What was he going to do? In the past, he had tried to bribe the Assyrians and say, hey, if I give you enough gold and silver and stuff, will you just leave me alone? And they take it for a while, but now they were back banging on his front door. And so he had a choice. What is he going to do? It really wasn't a matter of if he was going to have to deal with them. It was how he was going to deal with them. And this time was going to be different. This time he was going to make he was going to make a wiser choice. He was going to deal with them by leaning into God and trusting him completely instead of some other kind of uh, method he could have done.
0: Yeah, him, him going to God in prayer, laying the, the letter before the throne, or, or the throne room of God in the, in the temple, all those actions that he took. You know, we see a bunch of attitudes that are revealed here. Uh, one of the things in the teaching plans that we're encouraged to do with this section, we are looking at verses 14 through 19, which is the, the prayer part, is for us to create a, a board or on the board, create columns with three headings, words of praise, the problem named, and a humble plea. And then just lead the group to highlight words or phrases from the prayer that fall under each one of those categories, words of praise, the problem named, and a humble plea. Just list those up there. And And when we do that, what we're going to see is we're going to see some attitudes that are revealed in his prayer. But we're also going to, when we're doing that, we're going to see ourselves, And in the back of our mind, we're going to be wondering about what
1: are our attitudes that get revealed when we're praying and why that is so important. This is really one of my favorite stories, Uh, not just in First and Second Kings and not just the Old Testament, but in all of Scripture. And I think part of the reason I'm drawn to it. It's just this image of this king, Hezekiah, taking what I I assume was probably a scroll of some kind and just taking it to the temple and just spreading it out and laying it on the altar and and just inviting God to read it with him and just say, this is what I'm dealing with, God there are so many times in my life that i just come to Him and you know, i have kind of open hands and i say you know god this is what i'm dealing with uh you know what do you, what, what should i do what you know how can you help me with that so i really resonate with this sometimes uh of course i you know what hezekiah was facing was was much more dangerous than probably whatever i face but it's that same spirit where it's just like i don't know what to do and <laughs> i don't know how to do it and i'm just at a loss god but here's the thing we mentioned it a minute ago Hezekiah was facing a very real threat. But even though he's facing a very real threat, he was showing very real faith in a very real God. And so that made all the difference when he left it up to God. uh, He was going to find an answer to that. God was going to use that. And the two you you mentioned attitudes, the two things that really stick out to me is that he was transparent. He was completely honest. He, He didn't he didn't pretend to have any answers. He uh, he didn't know what was going on. He he knew the history, <laughs> and he, as we mentioned earlier, he knew exactly what these guys were capable of doing, and he knew that they were zeroed in on him, and that from a human perspective, there's no way he could stand up to them. But he just he just kind of told God, "Hey, I'm at a loss. I, I don't know what to do. What do I do? I need your help. I need you." And he just completely leaned into God and showed him that transparency. The other thing I think he showed, the other attitude he demonstrated, was humility. And as a king, that probably wasn't natural. Uh, my guess is that most ancient kings were probably not uh, big advocates of the uh, you know, hurry up and wait philosophy of leadership. Uh, <laughs> yeah. they, you know, they, it would have been really easy for Hezekiah, and he'd done this before. Uh, he 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 kind of followed this path, and, and if you read the whole story, the context, the background, he had kind of done this before. It would have been easy for him to get into problem-solving mode and say, "Okay, what's the easiest way? What's the quickest way? What's the most effective way to get these guys off my back?" And instead of doing that this time, he just decided to take his hands off of it and and, and trust God. And as a king, for a king, that had to be hard. And that had to be a humbling experience for him, but that was the key to him finding the question. And I think it's the key for us sometimes too, because let's let's be honest, a lot of us try to get ahead of God too. We we go run off in search of answers before we really know what the questions are, and we would say, "Okay, God, you know, I can I can do this. Just you know, you know, uh, just watch me." You know, and um, and we end up in a big mess too. But if we will humble ourselves and just take our hands off and say okay god i'm i'm leaving it up to you um, this is what they're saying not just about me god this is what they're saying about you okay, that's sure. another thing that's that's intriguing in this story is is that he basically says hey this is you know these people are talking bad about you they're talking trash about you what are you going to do about it god because <laughs> yeah, one thinks, thing if you beat me it's another thing for yes. them to think they beat you yeah. it, it, he, i think hezekiah realized that as as God was allowed to do his work uh, and defend his name and defend his honor, then that was going to solve Hezekiah's problem, too. So, you know, if, if Hezekiah could just lay it out and say, OK, hey, this is I'm, I'm putting this in your hands because you're the only one that can handle it. That was going to kill two birds with one stone. It was going to take care of it was going to take care of the uh, the Arameans, but it was also going to uh, it was also going to solve his problems as well. Yeah, they the centerpiece
0: of this whole study is the prayer Um, it's not so much the taunt although that feeds into the prayer and the answer uh, I mean obviously we would like to see an answer to prayer but the key part here is the prayer that's the focus of this lesson what can we learn about
1: the goal of prayer by studying this passage that's a great question, because I don't think we take nearly enough time to sometimes to, to stop and ask ourselves, why exactly am I praying? <laughs> you know, what is the purpose? What am I hoping to accomplish? What is my motivation here? Uh, and, and I think it would do us all some good sometimes to to before we get too deep into our prayers and our requests, is to focus on God and to say, OK, you know, what do you want to teach me? What are you wanting to show me here? Uh, my mind kind of went back. As I was thinking about this question, uh, to the to the very first question of the Westminster Catechism, which is, uh, you know, what is the, what is the chief end of man, or uh, what is the chief end of humanity? And the answer is to know God and to enjoy Him. And so the idea is that our purpose in life, our very reason for existence, is to live in relationship with God, and to maintain that relationship. And to have a connection with him that is ongoing, that is effective, that is strong, that is winsome, that is attractive to others. That's what we're here for. That's what we're supposed to do. So if that's the purpose of our life, that could also be the purpose of our prayers. Uh, Is that first and foremost, our prayers should be designed to bring God glory, to bring him honor, to, to, to show him as he really is, to reveal him to the world around us uh, in a way that's attractive, in a way that's gonna draw people toward him. Um, And I I think you see that in Hezekiah's prayer. Uh, Yes, as you mentioned, yes, he certainly wanted to have an answer. He, 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 He wanted to, he didn't wanna have to deal with the Arameans. He did not want to have to go into that battle. He didn't wanna have to stand up against them. He wanted God to do something great, but primarily he wanted God to be God. He wanted the world to see God for who He really is, um, and so that's that was sort of the the heart of his prayer. Um, and again, we mentioned it earlier that I think he understood that if God was glorified, then his problems were going to get solved, and it was going to be like one hand fitting into a glove. It's it's they 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 were both going to work. You know, these guys these guys came strong against God. They didn't. They talked about all the other gods um, and how bad they were and how they they couldn't stand up but then they implied that that Hezekiah's God was not any better and the truth is that Hezekiah understood that he wasn't he wasn't dealing with gods that had that could be thrown into rock piles or had, could be stripped of their gold and, and burned in the fire you know he, 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 he served a living God and so that's that's who, that's that's who he wanted people to see. That's that's what he wanted the nations to see. And I love it in um, in God's response, where He talks about they're not going to get close enough to shoot an arrow into the city. <laughs> you know, they're not they're not going to get uh, they're not going to come that far. That, but they're going to turn. They're going to be sent back the way they came. And you think about that. How humiliating would it be for Sennacherib and the and the Assyrians to to have to go back the way they came, they're going to march by the folks they conquered, and exactly. But they're going to have to tuck tail and run. They're mm-hmm. going to be in retreat this time. And how embarrassing, how humiliating was that going to be for them? But God said that is exactly what's going to happen. Um, you know, sometimes I think we we run the risk of uh, of thinking that prayer is about us. And we even say sometimes, well, you know, I read my Bible to hear from God, but I pray so God can talk, so, you know, God can hear from me. And there's some truth to that a little bit, but it really runs the risk of us making prayer all about us. The truth is, as the Westminster Catechism reminds us, everything that we do is about God. (laughs) First and foremost, He needs to be our priority. It needs to be all about Him, and He needs to be our focus. And I think Hezekiah gives us a pretty good example of that. You mentioned the
0: that you know, the promise that there'll be no arrow shot into Jerusalem, they're not going to enter the city. And we see this promise that God will defend this city and rescue it for his name's sake and for the sake of his servant David. How do we deal with this promise that Jerusalem would not be abandoned,
1: knowing what happens when Nebuchadnezzar comes to town in, in 586, 587, somewhere in that ballpark? Uh, uh, Jerusalem does fall and foreigners do enter the city, and people are taken into exile. Um, I think that there's two things to remember uh, about the context of this story uh, that helps us kind of deal with the Nebuchadnezzar question. Uh, one is that the God wasn't making a blanket statement that covered all of Judah or all of the southern kingdom for all time. Um, he was talking about this one situation. You know, Hezekiah had laid this letter out in front of him and said, "This is what Sennacherib and the other Assyrians were saying about you. What are you going to do?" And so God was was basically focusing His attention on Sennacherib and the Assyrians, and He was saying, "They're the ones that aren't going to get close enough to the city. They're the ones that aren't going to be able to build a siege ramp. They're the ones that aren't going to be able to shoot an arrow into the town. They're the ones that are going to they're going to have to go back the way they came." And so he was really focused on this one situation, this one enemy. The other thing is that, that God is only obligated to honor obedience. And the truth of the matter is that uh, you know, Hezekiah was a good king. Uh, we'll, we'll see another good king next week when we talk about, talk about that. But by and large, by the time Nebuchadnezzar came to power, by the time he rose to the position he was in, it, Jerusalem had pretty much been in prefall spiritually and morally, um, they were in outright rebellion against God. And at the time, the prophet Jeremiah was trying to straighten them out and trying to point them in the right direction. They just consistently refused. And so they had stopped obeying God a long time ago. And so God is not obligated to honor disobedience. And so the reason that he opened the doors for Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonians to come through is because his people had turned away from him. And so that kind of helps us understand a little bit about – why this promise that was made uh to hezekiah didn't extend now you know if, if if israel's kings had followed god if they had continued to follow hezekiah's example and if they continue to be righteous and upright trust him who knows uh we could guess we could surmise we don't know because uh, it didn't happen that way but uh, what we do know is that god said time and time and time and time again he would not honor his people if they turned their backs on him he would not honor the covenant if the people refuse to keep the covenant and so uh that's um that that's sort of that but the other thing is I, i even when i take i take some some comfort in the fact that even as he was as he was allowing the babylonians to to conquer jerusalem and this is kind of getting ahead of the story but as he's allowing them to do that he's still giving them promises that one day they're going to be restored yeah, and even while they're in captivity, through Ezekiel and Daniel, which we studied, you know, back in the winter uh, in Explore the Bible, uh, he he constantly gave promises of restoration and healing and renewal, and so even when he was punishing them, he was still healing them, and it's 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 just an amazing aspect of who God is. Yeah,
0: there was redemption involved in all of that. I, uh, the Bible skill for this particular session encourages us to read Second Samuel seven. And 1 Kings 2, uh, both of these are uh, verses that that point to uh, God's promise to build David as a lasting uh, house and promising to bless all David's descendants. But a key part of this is there's conditions in that, and that is that they were to walk in his ways, to remain faithful to him. So God made the promise that he would keep them on the throne, but they were to honor him in the process. So uh, it's, it's not a blind promise. It's a promise that has expectations. And that expectation is you will honor the one who's placed you there. And so uh, uh, that Bible skill, it's similar to one we have done already this quarter. I think it was in session three. Uh, we were looking at Solomon and his compromise, uh, but here we need we have the opportunity to be reminded of the conditions uh, that were associated with that promise, um, and that God had had set that out from the very beginning. So that Bible skill gives us more insight too. And here into verse thirty four, Bob. Any other key ideas or thoughts you would have about Second Kings nineteen before we go today?
1: Now I would just think one thing I would encourage leaders to do is to, to read, to go beyond the the key passages and just read the entire context of that chapter in second Kings. Uh, and, and this is, this is one of those stories that it's actually, I think it actually appears three times in scripture. I think it appears in second Kings and second Chronicles and again, in Isaiah. So it's, it's, and, and they're all fairly similar, mm-hmm. but just get the whole, the whole picture of, of the insults that were being hurled uh, the, the, just the the arrogance that was being shown uh, and and how gracious God is uh, against these people. I mean, imagine the power of God wiping out 85,000 people in a single stroke <laughs> and, and for no other reason than to bless his children yeah. um, and protect his children. So, yeah, I would just that was one thing I would I would say is, is just go back and read the entire context and make sure you have a handle on the background of the story.
0: I want to thank you for listening to us today, Bob. Thank you for being with us. Uh, if you have comments or questions, you're welcome to send me an email at Dwayne.McCurray That's D-W-A-Y-N-E dot M-C-C-R-A-R-Y at LifeWay.com. I'll do my best to answer your question, and if I don't know the answer, I'll put you in contact with the right person who can answer your question. Join us next week. We'll be wrapping up our study of Second Kings. Mike Livingston will be joining me. We'll be looking at Second Kings 22. Looking at King Josiah and his reforms, we focusing on the idea that God's spirit moves with power when his people obey his word.